This is Bach to Bach, the podcast opening up the world of classical music, one beer at a time. And this just might be the prettiest episode we have ever done. So this episode, I think, goes into a territory that we've only exposed a little bit. Yeah. And that would be the realm of choral music. And I'm really curious, Maddie, what, going back now almost 20 years since you've been in high school. Yeah. um, That's really weird to say. um, What was your experience to choral music like uh, in high school? What do you know of contemporary choral composers? And do you feel that, like, that still resonates today? I don't think we had so much contemporary work that wasn't sing-song. Do you know what I mean? The kind of uh, either theme song covers or whatnot. When we did get into the more classical repertoire, it was definitely a lot of the classical Italian, some German. We got to do the Hallelujah Course. Uh, We got to do some works in Latin. There was a really good breadth of it we were lucky i think in that regard do but you remember any like choral works that really stood out to you do you uh, give any idea apart now? from the i mean and apart from the hallelujah course which we talked about a few episodes back none i i couldn't name a single one for you right wow okay none, so yeah none it's, it's out. funny because i i'm the exact opposite whereas yes i've done music for my whole life as a living uh, but the big thing i've actually like i still remember almost probably like 50 percent of the pieces i sang in chorus in high school and we went to the same high school. And it was like, uh, maybe it was just the, uh, I don't know. Were you are, in- we, are we talking lyrics or the names no, of the gosh, pieces? No, gosh, no. Because lyrics I can remember to some of the, um, um, I, I can remember, actually some of the Italian pieces I can remember by lyrics, but I could not tell you the name okay. to save my life. Um, do you know the composer John Rutter? Or does that name ring a bell? Not at all. Okay, tell me more. so tell John, me more. well, that's not who we're featuring today, oh. but he's an influence on this. Um, John Rutter is one of the most uh most notable and and um and kind of like standard modern contemporary choral composers. Okay. But now we're going to focus on a man named Eric Whitaker. We talked about him at the end of last week's episode. That's right. That's right. Um so Eric Whitaker, he is he just turned 50 2 weeks ago or so. So very very recently. Happy birthday Eric uh, Whitaker. He he's probably he's a He's a beautiful man. I'm just going to straight up say he's a he's a beautiful man. Oh, we're going to have to pull up a photo at some point then. Yeah, I mean like he's if Sting had long long blonde hair. I don't know if that's beautiful or not to anybody. <laughs> anyway, so just a little background on Eric Whitaker. Um I'm going to give you kind of like the timeline. Grew up in Nevada. All right. Uh in Las Vegas, he was in a marching band but also was in a techno pop group at the same time. Wow. Um, I don't know what year this was anyway. So time goes on. He goes to Juilliard school for, for composition studies with John Corleano, who is one of my favorite contemporary composers. Um, and then the piece we're featuring today, um, is a piece called sleep for, for chorus. Now this piece was composed, uh, in 1999 or started to, um, um, there was a professional vocalist uh, named Julia Armstrong who reached out to Eric Whitaker and asked him to commission this piece based on the death of her parents. Um, wow. 
and uh, and they just died within within weeks of each other after being married for fifty years. Oh my goodness! So um, so and it was based. So he got said yes, I'll do this commission, uh, and then he began composing this and really tied it into a Robert Frost poem. Um, well known as stopping by woods on a snowy evening, which is one of his most known. Yeah. Um, anyway, started working on this and then, uh, he made a huge mistake and that was it, he never secured the permission, the rights to base it and use the text from Robert Frost's poems in his choral oh, works. Oh, he had intended to use that as the lyrics to the, and, to the choral and so it happened oh. with that within the, for that time, the Robert Frost estate, released a portion of his works, but not this. So needless to say he lost um he lost the rights to use um the Robert Frost text from his poem in this choral work sleep. Um but luckily he had uh uh this this poet and a friend of his uh Charles Silvestri who he's also used for other works of his as well to to write text uh for this piece and this performance is done uh, by a group uh, called uh, Vaches Eight. Vaches Eight. Uh, Vaches Eight. V O C E S. I had to like listen oh. to a few interviews, make sure I was saying it right. Um, but uh, they are this incredible like octet of vocalists, where it is just becomes one pure unified sound, and that's what we've done major choral works, but we've not stripped it down to an octet or small group. And is the layout the traditional layout of two tenors, two basses, two uh, yeah. altos? Yep. Two, or or, like, or it's like a tenor, maybe tenor to baritone bass. Yeah. Um, so yeah. there there is that that spectrum, and really it's a combination of sound and then shapes of shapes of vowel, shapes of words. Um, but one thing that Eric Whitaker loved doing was a term called cluster chords. And cluster chords, like, you know, normal chords have spacing as far as the notes between each other. Cluster chords are exactly how it sounds, where it just, it is a cluster of notes next to each other where there is dissonance that doesn't resolve. And that's part of the beauty of it. So not like looking at dissonance as something that has to be changed, but embracing it for what it actually is on its own. And can we just remind some listeners who may not know what dissonance means? Dissonance, uh, basically, well, if you look at it in non-musical terms, it's conflict. It's it's things fighting against each other. When it comes to music, it is the same idea of notes that, that don't normally sound good together or that might just make you feel uneasy. Mm-hmm. You're waiting for it to have a resolve, just like you would with normal dissonance in life. And you're taking that... And basically Eric Whitaker in his compositions doesn't let that resolve happen. Or if he does, he completely changes the mood on the next beat. So there's always this constant um, kind of un, not unsettlingness, but like this tension. But it is it is beautiful. It's beautiful tension, I think. Is like an way. M. Night Shyamalan film. No, please. No. Yeah. No. Totally. There's tension, but it's not beautiful. <laughs> I take it. I take it. That's the sixth sense right there. That's masterful. Okay, so one out of nine films. Okay, yeah. he's his his, <laughs> his batting average is doing great. Um, so this is uh, again, this is uh, uh, the performance of Sleep by the ensemble Vachas Eight. Uh, really, this is calming. This is beautiful. This is this is just soothing. So really, take take the time to just stop whatever you're doing. And focus on this for the five minutes that it is. It's not a long work, but it's absolutely gorgeous. See if you can hone in on the text. See if you can hone in on the changing of, of lyrics from one section of, of the octet to others. 
And then when we come back, we will dive into some of the remedies that hops can have on sleep. I'm excited to, to link these two together on this one. Man, this is a fun one. <laughs>
what what blows my mind with the music like that is the pureness of tone from the mezzo soprano and the sopranos like that just that high mm-hmm. range and just be able to just like have these drone notes and just jump intervals with just no hesitation and no vibrato, just the cleanest, clearest tone. It's one thing when it's an instrument and you're hitting a key or putting your finger on a string, but when your instrument is your vocal cord and it's so easy to air on one side or the other, it's it's, it's, it's incredible. And then on the other extreme is the, the, the bass lines. They just, you know, if you're listening to this with good headphones or, or good sound system, those those bass lines from the baritones and basses in, in the group really just ground this piece, and it's just this almost this like rumble at the bottom, and it just you look at the last minute of the piece, it's the whole text is one word, it's just the word sleep, and there's this constant um, ostinato, which means repeating drone that just happens throughout the whole thing, and everything moves around it, but it's just the same idea, but yet you never lose interest, and it's just this amazing ability to um, write deeply, write with depth and context rather than write with uh, complexity. And it's just, man, Eric Whitaker, you are a genius. Keep it up. You are, you've won a bunch of awards already. So just keep doing what you're doing. It's already good for you. I'm going to look into this guy now. You've, you've, you've talked him up so much. It's- and and we will do some episodes on his virtual choir work. That's a whole nother story. That's right. You have virtual choirs, his, his TED talk. Well, well, that's a whole nother episode. I love that But this one. is a kind of a good, um, you know, entry piece on this, the work of Eric Whitaker. And actually now listening to it, that would have been a great exit piece for the entire episode. Looking back and just, if anyone is looking to go to bed and, and looking for a reason to go to sleep, what better way to fall, fall asleep than to that piece? Well, instead, you get our theme song, which just makes you agitated and stressed. And so, good me, job. <laughs> you get me talking about hops. Okay, so hops and tea and sleep. Our friend Hugh McCormick is currently on a dry January, and he has turned to a great alternative to beer, which is hop tea, which I never knew about. And he says, from talking around, no one else he knows has heard of it either. So, I, of course, have delved into the world of hop tea. Okay. And... It's phenomenal. It's huge. And there you can you can steep hop in hot water just like you would a normal tea, but there's also all these ready to drink cans of it around as well. Put it in oh, the really? fridge, drink it cold. And the way he describes it as well is it's like it you get the same aroma, the same feel as drinking a, a cold beer. Right. But with but you, but you're drinking a tea. Now, what's really interesting is that hops has for a long time been a cure for insomnia or a sleep aid as well. There's even... Oh, okay. So this helps with it. In fact, I didn't know this until looking into this a little bit deeper, but there are even pillows stuffed with hops that apparently aid in... <laughs> I don't know if those are comfy. I'm sure they aid, <laughs> but I don't think there's there's that comfort factor that cotton has. But I mean, it's... The, yeah, that, I mean, that it may be... Now, granted, hands in the air, I have never seen or, or slept on a hot pillow, but... The, the potential's there. Who knows? I, in fact, I think I've got your Christmas present all lined up now for, uh, for 2020. So instead of my pillow and then giving that guy, you have the hot pillow <laughs> instead. I got you. Continue. That's fine. But this is, and, and what's really fun is I didn't realize this until uh, till looking into hops a bit more, but originally when beer was being brewed in Germany, in Cologne, it was actually being brewed with something called Groot. And no, not okay. your favorite. I got really excited for a second. I know, not your favorite I'm guessing Marvel. G-R-U with umlaut T. G-R-U-I-T. Yeah, okay, Groot. it was close. All right. Which is, which was a, it was a, it was a blend of herbs 
and had the same effect of uh, of flavoring uh, the beer, but it didn't have the same micro uh, microbial preservative nature that hops does. Gotcha. And one of the reasons people turned to hops was at the time it was relatively easy to grow, and the Archbishop of Cologne didn't have a tax on it like he did on Groot. So brewers, if you if you were brewing with Groot, you'd pay a tax, but if you hops. use use hops, no tax. So. That's how hops start, kind of came to prominence. Now, again, if this is your first episode or if you're new to beer, hops is one of the four crucial ingredients that's needed to brew beer. You need water, yeast, hops, and malts. There you go. Nailed so with it. those four things, those are the base four ingredients. Uh, but the problem with drinking beer late at night or alcohol in general, we won't go too deeply into this because it kind of it's ruins sad. It. It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we'll just put it this way. Alcohol is not the greatest thing. As to, a sleep aid. To, yeah, as a sleep aid. Uh, everything from affecting circadian rhythms to memory retention, not letting you get into REM sleep, into REM sleep. So there, there's, a, there's a lot to be said for not drinking alcohol right before bed, even though we feel like it's a great sleep aid. In fact, 20% of U.S. adults say that they use it as, a, as, a, as an aid to help get to sleep. So, and that in and of itself is its entirely separate uh, social commentary. But we're going to leave that where it is. The real moral here is that hops are our friends. If you want to check it out, Whole Foods sell these, apparently. You can also buy them online oh, no way. on Amazon. So uh, this is called Hoplark. The, the ones that I found in the cans are called Hoplark, although there's tons out there. Check them out. If you're having trouble getting to sleep, try hops. There's a little moral of the story. Try hops and try listening to Eric Whitaker. Together, they're unstoppable. You're going to sleep like a baby? Like a baby. Like a really calm baby. Oh. Not like a normal baby where you wake up crying at 2 a.m. and pooping yourself. <laughs> so me yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> Sharing is caring. With the Sharing is caring. Uh, okay, so this is a really calm episode for us, which is not normal. And not anything like next week's episode. No. Next week is pure agitation. Um, and uh, you will not feel calm. You're not going to be going to bed after this one. Or being relaxed at work. It just will, you'll be in rough shape. But it's so good, though. Yeah. So good. We'll be talking about the second movement, very specific, the second movement of Bartok's second string quartet out of six. Um, have we done Bar- We have done Bartok once before. Yes, so but, but we've not focused on his string quartets that's before. That's right. That's right. And the second one is a, it's odd structure and. The second movement is just insanity. I don't know how people perform it. Right. And it blows my mind. And I'm so excited to share it with you all next week. Until then. It's been another episode of Bach to Bach. Cheers. Cheers, everybody. Be sure to follow Bach to Bach on Spotify to get notified of the latest episodes. And keep the conversation going on Instagram with us and follow us on all social media platforms at Bach to Bach. That's B-A-C-H-T-O-B-O-C-K. Cheers and keep listening.